Um, listen, open up to Romans chapter 10 this morning. And before getting into a bunch of content, I want to start with the most important thing. And the most important thing is love. And love comes from God. The most important thing we could start with, the most important thing we do as we gather is love, and that love comes from God. We've already been singing this truth. And a huge part of Sunday mornings, before we get into all kinds of other stuff, we're talking church this month, before we get into all kinds of ideas and programs and strategies and graphics and all of that is to start in this place of love, and one of the biggest and best things you can do is to show up here every week and re-ground yourself in this monumental truth that I am a beloved son or daughter of God. I think that foundational truth, it's, it is literally like the lifeblood of our body. That drains out of you and everything that we talk about moving forward, all that we sing, all that we might do, very quickly dries up and goes in a different direction. So I want that to be sort of the lead message and the, the message really that's woven through. Whether I say it a bunch of times or not, it has to be there. We did a series in Romans a while ago where we walked through the book of Romans and we called it Colossal Truth and we broke it into four segments because the book is sort of laid out in, in four scenes almost, if you will. And from this colossal truth, I just want to walk through seven foundational truths that if you're a Christian, these should sound very, very familiar, but if you're not a Christian or if you're new to the faith, um, the, these might be seen in a progression that you've not seen before. But here are some foundational truths, and we see all of these in Romans. Number one is this, that all people have knowledge about God. Romans 1 says that God has made it plain to them by His creation and so all people have knowledge of God. Number two is this, that all people reject God. People turn from their creator to created things. That's called idolatry. We still do it in our day and age. It's always hardest to see your own idols in your own culture. But drive past um, all the things and see where people flock to, see what people sacrifice their money and time for, see what people go for comfort, for wisdom, for direction. We have our idols where we've turned from the creator to the gifts and made the gifts the God. So all people reject God. Here's the third uh, truth, that all people are guilty before God. The first three chapters of Romans um, until you get to verse 21, can be, seem really depressing. But in a doctor motif, it's just getting your diagnosis. But it says plainly, there's none righteous. No, not one. So all people are guilty before God. Every mouth is silenced before God. Everyone is accountable to God. Number four is this, that all people are condemned for rejecting God. Romans make this really, really clear, is that none will be declared righteous by obeying the rules, by somehow doing good works. Number five is this, that God has made a way of salvation for the lost. Righteousness apart from the law has been shown to us by God. 
And it comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm counting on your name, Jesus. You're the path of righteousness that I'm walking on. I believe you are the way to righteousness. You are the way to my hope. That's what I'm counting on. Every person you ever lay eyes on is counting on something. We are all banking on something. Some people are banking on the fact that this life is all there is, so you better just grab as much as you can right now or just suffer through it, and maybe the lights will go out one day. As a Christian, we are counting on the name of Jesus. When we say we believe in the name of Jesus, it's not just a one-time sort of flippant prayer. It means that's what we're banking on. That's what we're building our life on. Number six is this, that people cannot come to God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. So not only is it explicit that God has made a path through Jesus Christ, but it's also explicit that he's the only path to God through Jesus Christ. The New Testament is all about the truth of Jesus arriving and that people must trust in his person and work to be saved. Now, number seven is where we land this morning as we talk about what we're doing and being as a church. Number seven is this, that God commands the church to make the gospel known to all people. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Follow along if you're there. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There's our word, beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we're talking church this month, and we're talking about a beautiful day. Isn't it amazing that a beautiful day does not center on the weather report or the crime report for our neighborhood? That is not what makes a day beautiful. The day is made beautiful because this is the day the Lord has made. He's here. His presence is what makes it beautiful. If you're soaring high and things are going great, his presence and beauty makes you, makes you not idolize that and live for that. It also makes you enjoy it more because you're sharing it with him. If you're literally walking through the valley of the shadow of death this morning, you're thankful because God's light God's presence, God's power, God's comfort is seen most visibly in those times. And when that testing is, is in front of you, you can look around and take notice and say, wow, I'm freaking out, but I'm not freaking out that much. God, you're real. God, you're present here. There's a peace that surpasses human understanding, and I, don't, I didn't know for sure if I had it until I went through this test. So a beautiful day is is every and any day, that God fills your air, your, your lungs with air, and your heart continues to beat, and you get to move and have your being. And it's for our neighborhood that we bring glory to God by bringing beauty and goodness to our neighbors. We showed you a very complex but very good and dense definition of the local church so that we don't think that church is a building, uh, that church is a denomination, uh, that church is a place. Church, rather, is a gathered community of believers. 
right? So, so we can be and do church in a variety of ways. What we decided to do was say, let's, let's for the sake of simplicity, let's boil it down to this, that the church really is a community of missionaries. And those terms are really packed and loaded with all kinds of qualifiers that the other definition gives for us. So that's a little review of, of where we started last week. Um, today we're going to get clear on this, how we church. How do we church? And what I mean by that is how do we do church? How do we structure and organize? But also how do we be? How do we live out being this gathered community of missionaries? Now, if you go around from church to church, you'll notice that all New Testament following patterned churches have some things that are very, very similar and some things that are very different. How many of you grew up or have spent a significant chunk of your time apart from Neighborhood Bible Church and you would say that your home church, your growing up church, your, your other experience is vastly different than Neighborhood Bible Church. Raise your hand if you, if you do that. Just look around the room for a minute, okay? Now, leave your hands up for a second. Um, those of you who grew up in other churches, leave your hand, or put your hand down if there are similarities to what we do here. Put your hand back down if you say, yeah, there's some, some, some similarities to my home church and this one. So only three remain. Three or four hands, five hands maybe remain that say, is, was vastly different, um, and there's not a whole lot that goes on that's, that, that's similar here. Okay, you can put your hands on. Thank you for that. So, so if, if we are looking to the scriptures and saying, God, you tell us how to do church, and we got the freedom from our planting church in Cupertino to have a clean slate with Neighborhood Bible Church 13 years ago. It was really incredible. Where, where that loving family said, we want to launch you as a church, and you don't have to mimic everything we're doing. We're not trying to franchise Valley Church in Cupertino. So, so what we did as a leadership group is we said, what are the guardrails? What are the things? God has put up some fences that says you can go to the right, but not beyond this this fence. You can go to the left, but not beyond this fence. Here's a boundary out here. He's put some fences in place. And then do you know what he does? He says to the church, now go and play, go and create, go and live, go and do things. So it's not a free for all on how we do church. There are some fences and then there's a ton of room and freedom to create and then fit into the neighborhood that we live in. This picture kind of gives clarity to it. When you go to a fenced-in playground, um, both as a child and as a parent or nanny or caregiver, it's, it's, a, it's a really good thing. It's a freeing kind of a thing. The kids feel secure and safe to run and go and kind of do whatever, um, but, there's a, but there's a sense of, okay, I, I know I'm protected, and kids will sort of check in less, like, is this okay? Like, how far is okay? Um, so let me, let me give you a couple of fences that are there. And then out of these fences, there's just this giant room to create and play. And that's why there's so much variety around churches. Number one, we start back where we started this morning is this, that God loves and works. I believe that if you're a New Testament church, you are, you are remembering and reminding one another regularly. This all begins with God. It's not that we loved God, and so we decided to start doing church. It's that God loved us, 
And God is a worker. Genesis makes it really clear. God's a worker. He's working and creating this whole place long before the fall. And we're made in God's image. We were created to love and to work. But it's all out of response. It's all being topped off. It's all out of the overflow of being modeled love by God and filled up with God's love. And that's where the flow. So that's, that's a really key starting point. The other boundary is called the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is like it. We get a two for one when, when people ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the second one? Some of you are like, well, I didn't hear that. It's, you all got it right. You just said, it. love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how if we start with, with, with that, love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. If we don't start with the fact that God loves and works, man, pretty quickly we could start to look like a works theology church. Like when you show up here, my main thing is I'm beating on you. Are you loving God? Are you working for God? Are you doing it with all your mind or just part of your mind? Are you doing it with all of your strength? Do you see how like it begins to be the opposite of the gospel? It's this crushing burden of duty. Of course, I haven't loved God with all my mind this week. But don't make eye contact with the pastor. He'll never know. So we come with this giant... Oh, just a release of going, God, I, don't, I didn't love you with all my strength, but here you are delighting in me. And I leave here energized, filled up with you. I can't, can't wait to go keep this relationship going. And over time, I, what happens is this. God actually does the work. He is forming himself in us. So that we come, and when we sing this lyric, we go, that may not be true 100% of the time, but that is the deepest longing of my heart. And that's born of the Spirit. So the second thing that, that sort of the, the, the boundary is that we love God with all that we are and that we love our neighbor as ourself. That's hugely informative for what New Testament churches should be about. And then the third one is, is called the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? It's our text today. In fact, I want you to turn there, uh, Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus leaves us with his disciples. You know this very well. Go and make disciples baptizing them and teaching them to obey all of commandment. We're going to look at that in a second. So go ahead and turn there. <clears throat> when we look at what we're supposed to do as a church, what are we supposed to be doing? We're gathering. Do we just do the things that our forefathers taught us? Do we rebel and do exactly opposite of how those who did it before us did it? Or are there some things that we're supposed to be about? What I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting at right now are the boundaries, sort of the fences, the, the guardrail saying, here, go in this direction. And then the reason that our church and some very dear friends of mine, that I believe we will all be in the same choir together in heaven, are doing church right now in different parts of the Bay Area and country and even world that look a lot different than how we do it. And what's really fascinating, what's, what we can celebrate is this. God in his wisdom, when you study church history, God in his wisdom put up boundaries that weren't so confining that if the money runs out or if the money gets big, it doesn't work anymore. It breaks the structure. 
God in his infinite wisdom put these boundaries, these fences, these playground boundaries, and then said to his children, go, create. And what we see through church history is in tiny little gatherings, in rural spread out settings, in urban tight pack settings, in high persecution settings, in high thriving settings, that the church for more than 2,000 years now has continued to thrive and grow and function as it adapts to the different neighborhoods that God has, has put in there. And it's really, really incredible. Churches get off course when they make gospel truth or hard package things that, that aren't the sort of unending, like eternal, timeless truths of, of boundaries. And a lot of times, churches fight over style, Right? So style of worship, style of teaching, style of leadership, style of ministry. Man, we're good at that. Church people, A+. We get get it. We're, We're great at fighting over styles. But most style discussions, most style fights are arguing. So here's the fence line. Okay, we're kids playing. It's arguing over whether we should play Um, hot lava monster where you can only touch these colors or hot lava monster where you can only touch these colors. So much of it is silly children, kid game fighting. It's not eternal truth. This This is make it or break it for the kingdom fighting that goes on. And we're not immune to that at all. Praise God, it's been an amazing 13 years. But we're not immune to it. Matthew 28, let me just read this. By the way, this thought came to me this morning. This could be a two-hour service. I've just got to warn you guys. I'll, I'll, oh, man, I'm so excited. Um, this thought came to me. Um, if you were to ask people, like, like so many people go immediately to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. They're, they're really succinct, power-punched, memorable things, fences that God gives to us. Um, but I think a lot of times it's assumed, of course, we know it comes from God, that God loves us and God works. It's almost like, well, that's assumed so we won't state it. I think there's huge power in stating it, and I think the scriptures actually model for us something powerful. How many times does the Great Commission show up in the Bible? It's a little bit of a trick question because there's four Gospels. Go, James. One, one in the form that, that we have it. It sort of shows up. The Great Commission short, sort of shows up in some, in some other forms in, in Mark, Luke, and maybe John. How many times... In New Testament and Old Testament together, let's just take the Bible. How many times does it show up that we are loved and delighted in by God? Many. Many. That's right. That's a good answer. If you know that answer, like, that's pretty amazing. I don't know either. But in very explicit words, it says it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And in dramatized kinds of ways, it shows it over and over and over. In the interactions with Jesus, both implied and explicit, over and over we're told this. Do you think it's pretty important that we stop and remind ourselves regularly, maybe daily, that at the start of today, God, the most important thing about me has already been done. Like I'm delighted in by you, and nothing I accomplish or don't accomplish today is going gonna, is gonna to alter that. That's a done deal. 
So, so by sheer volume, the Bible is screaming at us. Do not lose sight of this one fact. You are a beloved child welcomed into the family of God. Now, once we have that settled and we've had our meal and we've enjoyed it and we really feel it to our bones, let's get talking about what we should do. Go and evangelize the whole world. Go and just love your neighbor. Love them ridiculously well. And keep coming back to the table to remember that you're loved. Jesus told his disciples, I have been... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the call to people to trust and follow Jesus. When, when we think about spiritual formation or making disciples, it is both a one-time-in-history event. It's called being born again. Just like you're physically born one time, you are spiritually born one time. The Bible, theologians use the word justification. Romans is chock full of justification. So this is the call to get people to count on the name of Jesus. It's a one-time event. But watch this, verse 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is life change. This is the call as a new believer to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Being a disciple is a one-time event. Go and make disciples. Call in the name of Jesus. And a lifelong process. And teach them to observe or obey or walk in or actually do all that I've commanded you to say. So this is called justification, one-time event. This is called sanctification. This is growing up in Christ. So when we think about making disciples, it's twofold. Do you know of some churches that are really great soul-winning type churches? But to the exclusion of anything over here, I do. Do you know of some churches that rarely, if ever, have any new growth and don't make new disciples, like they never have people being called from darkness to light, but they've centered all of their attention over here? I do. The New Testament church says that, that discipleship making has both of these in mind. Erwin McManus says this, the call of God is more than a leap of faith, it is a life of, life of faith. Do you hear these both sides of discipleship? It's a leap of faith. It's also a life of faith. So it's, it's ongoing. Here's a couple thoughts on discipleship making. Consider the arrowhead. I, I, I looked back on some notes, and we talked about this years and years ago. I still have a tiny arrowhead that sits under my computer screen since the last time I talked about this, which was years and years ago. So it sits there. But it reminds me of these kinds of things. One is this. Um, arrowheads are simple objects, and they're handmade. They're not mass-produced. <coughs> Secondly, they are shaped by chipping away unnecessary parts. That's a whole sermon right there. Right? How much like that is that discipleship making? Here's number three. It has a point. <laughs> There's a very specific purpose for this. It's either sharp and effective or dull and ineffective. But an arrowhead has a design. It has a point. 
Disciples are similar to this. We believe that maturing disciples are growing and passionately involved in at least these three areas. Number one is this, a loving, deepening relationship with God. Number two is a community of loving um, community and loving relationships with the family of God. And number three is serving and sharing with other people. Our church has programmed around these very, very simple ideas, okay? Our worship services, what we are doing right now, although there are other things that take place, we are stirring up intimacy with God. That happens by preaching, that happens by singing, that happens by prayer, that happens by all kinds of things. But this is an expression of worship that we do here at Neighborhood Bible Church. Number three, we program community groups. This is where people grow and serve together. And finally, we have share opportunities. We don't have one specific program that says, okay, you attend a worship service, you're in a community group, now go to this one program and share. You know why? That's so crazy limiting. That seems insane to us to say that there should be a single program that would do that or a handful of ministry teams. We think the world is wide and vast. And as this great book by Eugene Peterson says, here's the title, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. So share opportunities are things that just well up in your own mind. Wouldn't it be so fun to love this coworker this way? I'm going to surprise him with that. Good. Go and do it. Go be a Christian. Go be a friend. Go be a human being and just go do that. That's a share opportunity. Sharing literally is God's blessed me with two um, melting ice cream cones. I should probably give one away because I don't need two. I want to be able to eat the second one fast enough. Who can I give another one away to? Why has God given me two? I'm not going to rent a storage unit and put it in there and pay extra because it's refrigerated, right? Like, we're just going to look at sharing in the most basic kinds of ways. So we use a play button to represent this. Let me just, let me just rattle this off. It's going to go really, really quick. You can jot down whatever sticks with you or just stop and listen. Um, but this play button is, is, uh, is, is so instructive. It just keeps adding layers. But here's number one. There's this sense about the play button. The play button is used for us at this church as a visual representation of what we mean by how we church. And there is some ambiguity to the play button, and that's by design. Part of the thing about a play button, if you're really honest, is that there's a mystical side to it, isn't there? Every time you go to YouTube or your VCR, depending on what you do, every time you go to your Walkman uh, or your phone to listen to music or a podcast, every time you hit that little triangle, there are things going on that you don't have a clue how it's happening. You're like, I don't know. I got a CD. My friend ripped it for me, whatever that means. It's sitting in a cloud somewhere. I hit this button, and that CD somehow now is playing in my wireless headphones in my ear. I'm not really sure all that goes on. I just know that every time I hit this button, it generally works. So there's a sense to the play button that's ambiguous and mystical. I know a couple of you in the room may kind of understand what's happening. Even still, you probably are confused on some things. That's why you have a job. You have to go figure those things out. Here's the second thing. It requires participation. Who does the heavy lifting when you hit play on your music app? Someone else. Someone else developed the app. Someone else is housing the servers in middle America somewhere else. Somewhere else is cha- someone else is chasing down when it doesn't work. Someone else is providing your Wi-Fi. Someone else designed how you interact with all of this, Right? Maybe someone else that's paying for your service right now. That'll change at some point. So 
Other people are doing the heavy lifting, but it requires participation. Listen to me. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without a step of trusting in the name of Jesus, without all of the answers, with all all the future mapped out, you never begin. You do not pass go. You're not even playing the game. God has done all of the heavy lifting, and by his infinite wisdom, he has required that we participate with him in this. If you look at the progression we read in Romans, the only breakdown is when the church doesn't preach the gospel. All the other things that go on is really a work of the Spirit. It's God at work doing all these different things, drawing disciples, forming disciples, making beautiful things in the neighborhood. Another thing, it's green, which means go. Go and make disciples. Don't wait for people to come to you. Be proactive in loving your neighbors as yourself. Be proactive in pursuing a relationship with God and intimacy with God. Green means go. Also love that it's the the play button. Play, Play signifies action, change. Ours is a life of following Jesus, and he's on the move. It's not a life of status quo. It's not a life of sitting still. How about the idea that play is a key idea? Do you know who the most joyful being in the entire universe is? It's the God you worship. What does it say if his people are the most solemn and sour-faced people on the planet? Let me ask you this. You go to a playground, your kids are the most solemn out of deep reverence for you. They don't play. They sit around and study about you. The other kids invite them to play or tickle them. They go, knock it off. No laughing. You are not honored as a parent on the playground if that's your kid. God is the most joyful being in the entire universe. In fact, I would say this. Childlike play is a mark of maturity. Childlike play is a mark of maturity. That someone would be so secure in the Father's love, so much so that they're able to cease striving, cease producing, cease getting after it, and just play explore, not produce. Man, that's someone who knows that they are delighted in, watch this, simply for who they are, not for what they bring to the table. Man, parenting, parenting should just teach us this over and over and over again. I don't know of a single person, maybe because I don't live in a farming community, maybe the farmers struggle with this, I don't know, But none of you have ever come to me in counsel and said, I need people to help me do my work and I can't afford a maid. I've never given the counsel, well, then have some kids. (laughs) I mean, eventually they'll do some work for you. None of you have come and said, we're we're a couple, we've dreamt of starting a business, but we don't want to pay people, so we're going to have a lot of kids. I mean, no one thinks that way. But over and over and over again, I I know you. I know us, I know me, we wrestle with, does God, is God happy with me? Is God happy with my performance? Am I doing enough for God? Have I fallen out of his, you know, being the apple of his eye because of my performance this week? Man, childlike play, I, I give you permission. In fact, this is something that came from, from some time this, this, this last week. In, in looking at a model day, Here's what, I, here's what I looked at and realized with my schedule. I realized I'm really, really good at starting my day. My life is transformed because I have every day stopped 
and sat with this reality that I'm, I'm delighted in before I do anything. I'm delighted in by the Father. I do that really, really well in the morning. Then I've tended to overpack my day. And what I've decided to do, and now I'm making this public, so now I have some accountability. What I've decided to do is I've decided to budget into my work week 15 minutes, and I've given myself permission to waste time with Jesus for 15 minutes. I don't even know what that'll look like yet. Usually when the staff sees me wandering around the building, um, it means I'm on a phone call. I'm doing stuff. I just like to get out and walk. I may go, I may go sit and... I don't know, lay on the back deck. I may go take a walk. I may, I'm just going to waste time with Jesus for 15 minutes as an act of saying, man, this stuff will go on without me. Like, I'm not in control of the universe. I'm going to hit and have a midday Sabbath and just pause to get my head around these things. All right, here's one last thing, that play buttons are so common. We see them so often that we lose the wonder. I hope today, this afternoon, if you hit play on anything, you go, oh, play on the DVR for football. Wow, there it is. I never would have paid attention to that, that little triangle. So it is with the kingdom of God. Things like this church community are so profound, such profound gifts that we have family. That, that we're not only forgiven, but that our conscience is washed clean from our worst days. That's a profound gift. That we have the scriptures available to us in a gazillion translations because of our phones. That we have an inheritance, that we have a hope. All these things become so commonplace that we can lose the wonder. The play button is still a great representation of what we're doing and as we try to, to form each other spiritually. In your notes, I just put a play button with nothing there because I want you to write this down. I want you to go through the act of writing this down. When you see the play button... This is most often how you'll see it around here. The words make disciples are in red because Jesus spoke them. Many of your Bibles have the red letter version. So we remember this comes directly from Jesus that we're to make disciples. We also remember that God is discipling us. He's forming us as we make disciples. As we call people to faith, we're reminded, oh yeah, I made that call one time. I made that commitment one time. And as we form Christ in other people. Christ is forming him in ourselves. The triangle has three points which reflects our process. The triangle can get way out of balance and look super weird. Same with our church. If all we ever do is worship together and potluck together, worship together and potluck together, and we never have a point, there's no sharing, the triangle looks like this, big and long this way, itty bitty this way. And we can see that. We go, nope, that's out of balance. Some churches get so far in share, they're way over here. The world's cheering them on. They're making an impact because everyone in the neighborhood loves them. You know why? They've never once talked about sin. They've never called people to place their faith in Jesus Christ. They, they don't have a whole lot of community outside of what they do together. So these two are very, very tiny, but they're doing tons and tons of good. So we need all three of these, and we really see the body as being a group of people that can have eyes on this and say, hey, we seem to really be morphing around this one thing. What's being done over here? How can I help? How can I pull in these other directions? Man, just the simple fact that 
a triangle has a point is really, really good. We know which direction that triangle is pointing in. Here's one more bit, and then we'll move on. The destination isn't specific, rather it's pointed to. So there's ambiguity here because God designed and leads us in very personal ways. As you read the scriptures, you'll see things that are the general right direction. Is it right for me as a husband to love my wife? Yes or no? Yes. Now, specifically how I love my wife will be just so intimate and unique to not only my life and my family of origin, but my wife's life and her family of origin, to the dynamic of our home, to the season of life, to the age I'm in, to what's going on internally. Do you see how this looks? It's so different than how Ron is to love his wife, and Chuck is to love his wife, and Jim, and and Joy, and others. So there's a general right direction, but we, we not only allow for it, We don't try to control it, but we celebrate the diversity and the ambiguity of sometimes you will get things up front here, and we don't try to spell it out with three specific things. What I might do is say, husbands love your wives, and it means these three things, and and you're like, sweet, I'm super good at all three of those things without even trying. It doesn't really minister to my wife. It doesn't really speak to the deeper things, but I can do those. I've just made a Pharisee husband out of that person. Many, many times we will give you intentionally ambiguous things and give you the hard work of saying, you go ask God what this looks like today in this season. All right, let me move on. Um, this visual picture is not only a a vision of what we're talking about with discipleship making, it's also the process. So the the what is the how. You see this progression to it, that we come into relationship with God, we enter into worship, but he doesn't leave us alone. He puts us into a family. That's community. And he doesn't just want us enjoying relationship with him and enjoying relationship with, with one another for eternity. That's called heaven. He's left us here with a very specific point. It's to share. We are a community, a gathering worship community of missionaries. So we have this urgent call on our life. What I want to do super quickly is walk through each of these with with, with a few specifics. Um, When it comes to worship, one of the biggest things I have to say over and over, and just remind myself, that, that, um, that worship is far more than an event on Sunday. So when we use the term worship, we're not talking about an event where we really are talking about a lifestyle. We are unceasing worshipers. That's how God's made us. We all will worship something. But it's not less than that. We are called and commanded not to give up forsaking meeting together regularly. So when I use the term worship, we're not talking about services. We're not trying to create worship services. We're trying to make disciples. We're trying to grow as disciples. But our biggest thing... Um, Here at this church, our biggest program each and every week is what we're doing right here. So what we do is we don't want to look past it. We don't want to look past the importance of this place. This is one of our biggest evangelism programs. People say, you know what? Um, I'm in relationship with you. I've been sharing the gospel with you. Would you just come to church with me and kind of get to experience it and get to hear some, some Bible teaching and hear from that? So this is an evangelism program. This is also a discipleship program where we come and we're fed and we're grown and we're reminded of some things. Um, here are some best practices for, for weekend worship. 
And some of you already do these. Um, some of you um, maybe, may, maybe don't do these. Or maybe some of you used to do these and need to pick them up again, okay? So these are just like really quick, some best practices. Like how do I enhance what's going on here? Number one is rest up. Like basically think of family worship as beginning Saturday night. I hope your bedtimes on Saturday nights looks different than either night of the week where we can pray for our Sunday school teachers. We can pray for the worship leaders, pray for the speakers, pray for things going on, pray for hearts to be open, pray for our own hearts to be open. So resting up and prepping um, ahead would be really, really good. In fact, I would say that if you're utterly exhausted or giving yourself to debauchery on Saturday night, your weekend worship experience is going to be kind of flat. It's going to be kind of tough. One of the things that's not acceptable in Christian circles is to go watch a really raunchy movie on Saturday night and then come expecting to go, I'm just going to sing my heart out to God. I'll tell you what's more acceptable amongst Christian circles is gorging yourself at a restaurant (laughs) and just going, "Ah, it's 1 1 a.m. Show up at church. So consider... Just consider what you're doing leading up to it. The, the, the Psalms are filled with something called the Songs of Ascents. As they would march their way up to worship in Jerusalem, they are singing and prepping days ahead on the journey toward the place of worship. Um, number two is this, arrive early. Oh, man, this, this is going to cause some fights in the home, I can tell already. One of you is going, see, the pastor said. Listen, I get that some of you, this is your DNA. You're just wired this way. Be gracious, be loving, but, um, but God has you in that family to, to do this. Here's what arriving early does, okay? Arriving early allows you, primarily, it allows you to just sit in your seat ahead of time and be like, okay, and just kind of know what, what you're here for. But it actually really serves other people. You arriving early means you get to take the very last spot in the parking lot and pray for all the people going, what a joy that I have to park far away because God's drawing people to our neighborhood. Arriving early allows there not to be a log jam with children's check-in if you have kids. Arriving early allows for margin of error, right? <laughs> um, it taking a little bit of time. You made plans to get there. Man, we showed up just on time. Good thing we were going to get here early. So arriving early can, can really help with that. Uh, number three is just telling God you're here for him. Like, like just driving here and going, God, I'm here for you. Psalm 86, 11 says, teach me your ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Give me a, an undivided heart that I may fear your name. It may be good to say out loud as a family, family, we, Carlson's, we are here this morning for God. Man, that just sets a tone that's different than I didn't get my, you know, caramel foam latte this morning or whatever, whatever's on your mind that, that morning. Um, here's number four. Number four is remembering that you are his beloved child. Do you see a theme? Like we just need to come back to this over and over and over again. And God, it puts a smile on your face when we come to the family gathering. My just being here is, is, is an act of worship. And just, and just remembering those things. Purpose to seek God's face and not his hand. Number five <clears throat> is really simple. Use a name tag. Do you know what a name tag is? A name tag is a gift to the people around you. A name tag just says, you know what? I forgive you for not remembering my name. Let's just get over that. A name tag says, please don't waste a single ounce of your energy fretting that you don't remember my name, and you should have because you met me last week and asked how you could pray for me and said you'd pray for me every day by name. 
right? Like, let's just chuck all that. Let's say, who cares about that? A name tag is a giant selfless thing to do. No one puts their name on so they can remember it. Otherwise, it'd be written this way, right? Every time you write a name tag, you're just saying, I'm just gifting you my name. And I can use your name. Man, let's just do that. I think that will form bonds um, just, just quicker and, and less awkwardly. So use a name tag. All right, let's move on to community. Um, the most radical verse in, 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 in the New Testament may be that, that, the new, that the new church met daily. They met every single day. Day by day, they met. For prayer and for worship and for devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, um, to the breaking of bread, just to having a meal together. What, what did God do day by day in the early church? He added to their number. Now, in different seasons, like things were forced into neighborhoods back in the day. No cell phones, no freeways, no mass transportation, right? But even with that, our weekly community groups are saying this. We believe that community matters. We believe that love's the most important thing. We believe that the most important thing is not only to love God, but have people to practice it on. And by taking larger groups and forming smaller groups and putting it on our calendar for one hour and a half every week without fail, we are stating in advance, we're going to live by what we say we value most. The people in our life, not the products we make or the products we use, are the most important thing. They are what will last forever. So we're going to put it on the calendar that we're going to invest in that. Growing in community requires large chunks of time. I don't bring my phone with me when I preach, but large chunks of time that is not doing this. And I do it too, so don't. Right? Multitasking, screens, eating dinner with the TV off, whatever it might be. Large chunks of time. Do you know what happens when you have nothing to sort of like distract yourself or do really quick or check or whatever? What happens is you sit around and you're like, now what? And what happens is that silence prompts the next conversation. And then that goes in some direction and it sort of fizzles out. This is why a campfire is really good because a campfire is kind of entertaining and it sort of like fills the lull. But when you're doing that with no screens, I mean, it's just amazing. You guys know what this is, to go be around. And then don't, don't when those happens, don't you just go, we should do this more often? I mean, we're really filled up by that. But it takes work. It takes practice not to just pull out this when there's 10 seconds of dead time. So large chunks of time. Kirk and Audrey, you better get up here quickly because I'm just going to keep going and we'll run out of time. Kirk, um, here's what I want to do. I want to show you a slide that you don't need to memorize or work on because it's in something called Welcome to Community Groups at Neighborhood Bible Church. I simply want to highlight this, that when we read about the church, we see all kinds of things that are done in the larger group. You don't even need to memorize those or look at those. They're written down for you. But there are things you read about in the scriptures. You go, yeah, we do those things at our church. But there's a whole nother pedal to the bicycle. It's called smaller groups. In smaller groups, there are things that we're supposed to be doing together as a church that we can't possibly do across three services and two languages. And so that's why we are so devoted to that. If you are getting the church experience large group, you're one pedaling a bicycle. You are one wing flying as a bird. Our worship services and our community groups are the two biggest programs we invest in and tell people to get involved in. And after that, it's, it's just very, very little that we do because we think these things are so important. I invited um, Kirk up here. By the way, the Hintons have brought 
Um, just such renewed energy, renewed vision, renewed passion. And one of the primary things I love about the Hintons being over all of our community groups is this. They model it. They've been living this way for a long time. Not only do they, and, and that was born out of a heart for God. They were doing this before they moved to Kenya. But when they moved from their home country to live in Kenya to serve God with other people who were serving God, they were forced into needing community in ways that never would have been true here. And they've brought back with them um, some incredible practices. So- Hello. Um, I'm going to go quickly. But um, uh, while I'm talking, uh, Dennis, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transform- transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, all have gifts. We all reflect his glory. The homes and groups that meet in his name are bright spots in many neighborhoods. Community groups help take church into all parts of our city. Our community groups take the head knowledge from Sunday and help us put it into action as we work together as Christians who want practical ways to better reflect his glory in our normal everyday lives. Thank you for showing up to church week after week. You are seen. We're grateful for your presence and we desire that you are better known here. What did God stir in you about next steps from last week? Have you heard the invite to join groups before but haven't yet stepped out and taken the risk? At the end of the service, the leaders of the current groups will be around the room with clipboards to field your questions and to sign you up. Maybe you've been at NBC for some time. Your faith is comfortable, but we don't get results when we're comfortable. God is inviting each of us to continue transforming. Maybe your next step looks like a community group leadership class which is going to be happening in the next week or so, please, or excuse me, month or so. Um, please uh, stay tuned for details about that. Uh, I've asked Dennis, who's one of our newer community group leaders, to come up and just share quickly about what his experience has been like going from not being a community group leader to being a community group leader. Uh, first, let me take uh, one quick second to say uh, application. You talked about that. I don't have on a name tag. I'm sorry. <laughs> I miss- Next week. <laughs> Next week, yeah. That's my, that's my takeaway for this week here. We'll get a name tag on here. But about 15 months ago, I was looking to get involved, and I approached Dave and asked him about the men's group. And he said, there's nobody to lead that group. So I volunteered to do that, not knowing even what a community group was. I wasn't really in one before. Uh, just decided to do it and jumped into it, and it's been one of the best blessings of my life ever. I mean, I got some of the guys in here, and I'm not going to put them on the spot, but it's wonderful to see not only how they've grown, but how I've grown from hearing from them. So there's a lot of giving back on that, and to know that I got a group of guys that are praying for me, including Kirk and the the leadership here in the church, praying for me every single week. You can't imagine what that's like. It is a total blessing. So if you got that on your heart and it's moving you a little bit, step up. Go ahead and do it. It's not as scary as you think it is. This is worse. (laughs) Thanks, Dennis. Um, if you are interested or feel God leading you in that direction at all, I will have a clipboard for that at the end of the service. Um, do you have a place to gather? Please let it be filled with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you have a heart for others and a desire to help shepherd the growth? Let God walk with you as you lead. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. When we share time together, maybe even a meal, we can encourage one another and point one another back to the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Offering each other the space to be honest, honest, making a habit out of meeting, taking the time to know and be known results in more and more joy.
Thank you. Come on up right now as well. Thank you, Kirk, for, for that and for Dennis. Um, we're going to tackle share next week. We're going we're to take the last two weeks of the Sunday and look at something that we call heading. And it's just sort of the idea of with these big ideas in mind, where, where more specifically are, are, are we doing um, our, our, our focus as a church? Before I wrap up, let me just give you a phrase that has become near and dear to the heart of this church, and it, and it really means something. It's come as you are, but don't stay that way. And come as you are, but don't stay that way seeks to embody some things that we want to be known for as a church by God's grace. Number one is this, acceptance, that we welcome you right now. We believe we model the gospel when we welcome people just as they are to church. I'll tell you a giant hurdle that the enemy of your soul will keep you from getting to a church because he will deliver this message to you in soft whispers. You need to clean up your act before you go to church. The gospel flips that on its head and says you can't possibly clean up your act. If that were true, none of us would ever be in church, period. That's like telling the spiritually dead, hey, wake up. Get doing alive type stuff. Then get to church. Nonsense. <laughs> the dirty come here because this is where God washes our conscience. This is where God cleanses up us of our sins. So come as you are, says we're a church of acceptance. And the second part of this, it's, it's growth. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. But don't stay that way communicates this idea that growing up is God's idea. We think it's really cute when a baby lays in its own mess for a short season of time, then we clean it up. That's not cute anymore when you're nine or 29, right? I mean, there's something, there's a problem there. It's dysfunctional. We are to grow up in every way. Growing up is God's idea, physically and spiritually. So what I would say is this. If you stick around this church, you will be challenged, encouraged, Dare I say, you will be preached at to change. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Why? Because if you're attached to Jesus, he's on the move. He's doing stuff. He's going in places. He's making you uncomfortable, and that's where we grow. This is our Mr. Rogerism for the day. It reminded me of this thing that he used to always say. He wanted to communicate to children by looking directly into a TV screen. I like you just the way you are. Man, that is a powerful, powerful message. Because it's in your notes, let me give you these. Um, <clears throat> these are sort of next steps that may be applicable to you. For some of you, becoming a Christian is step one. You can I've never, I'm not counting on the name of Jesus. My first step would be a step of faith into that. For others of you, the toe dip might be this. I am an insecure Christian. I waffle one day to the next. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And it's based on all kinds of other things. How do I grow in just my security of being a Christian? Here's what the tread water action item might be is this, is to get fit and faithful by living out your calling. Get fit and faithful by living out your calling. And the scuba dive, the deep dive is this. As you find yourself going, I'm in an intimate relationship with God. I'm growing in that. God's put me in a family. And I loved your comment, Dennis. Like, 
It's just been a blessing as I've stepped in and been a part of the family. I'm, I'm growing and all that. And I have this very clear ministry. A deep dive for you might be this, to grab someone by the hand and lead them in this process as well. I love Bob Goff's comment. He said, you know, the best leaders in my life didn't call my, I didn't think of them as leaders. They were just my friends. You kind of look back on it and you go, wow, they're really mentoring me. They're really leading me. They're showing me the ropes. I thought they were just being my friend. So don't go through this with a, I'm a leader mindset. Let me lead you. Let me lead you and show you these different things. Just go be a friend to people. Take others with you on this journey that you're on. God, thank you so much for just um, a patient people, Lord, uh, and the joy of getting to be here and put our minds on you and be reminded of truths about you. God, as we stick around and sing this song, um, God, we are, uh, we, are, we are letting this be an invitation to us. It's an invitation to relationship first and, and foremost before ever being in a partnership. And so, God, I pray our hearts and minds would settle on that. Would you show us, God, and fill us with courage to take whatever next step you have for us in our growth. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen.